thank you for that segue, Lindsay, because I was actually going to do an exercise today because as I was preparing for um, thinking about the book of Acts, I thought I'd better read the book of Acts, so I did that. Um, and then I had this uh, thing come to my memory. And uh, once upon a time, I was a primary school teacher, um, as a few people know well. Um, and when I used to teach year four, one of the um, units that I used to teach was on the book of Acts. And uh, so we'd, we'd actually spent a whole term just walking through the whole book of Acts with these, you know, nine-year-olds and ten-year-olds. And one of the activities that I used to do with, the, with these kids was that we needed to, we would look at the scripture and then I would ask them this question. So what would happen in the world today if, you know, the book of Acts happened in our church today? What would, what would it look like? So I'd get them to imagine what would it look like. Now, I'm assuming we've all read the book of Acts, right? Anyone in the room not read the book of Acts? So we're just going to do this exercise. Because, yeah, no one will admit that. No, no. So we're just going to do this exercise because it doesn't matter whether you've read it, you know, in the last week or, you know, 20 years ago, to be honest. God can still re reveal something to you. So I want you to close your eyes. And we're going to ask God to give us a picture. I want you to just ask God, what would I see if the book of Acts happened in 2020? What would God be doing? What would you see? Thank you, Jesus. You can open your eyes. Did you see something? Anybody got anything super exciting they want to share? What did you see? Anybody want to share something? Greg? Amen. People leaving their sick people at our door so we can heal them on the way into the five o'clock <laughs> prayer meeting. That's a good. That's a good something. Lindsay, what did you get? You don't think you can beat that? Well, I was thinking of. He says, "Wait for me, and you will be endued with power." And so I just saw the world looking to Jesus, waiting for that power. And then it says, when the Pentecost came, they went out and told everybody. And I suppose God's speaking to me a lot at the moment about raising our voice. So I saw people raising their voice with, as, and speaking under the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Is there one other person who's got something they want to share? I've got a microphone now. Sandy. We'll do the front. This is dangerous. 
mic's dangerous. Um, I just saw in a, like a hospital with um, people getting up off their operating couches as they're wheeling them in and getting up and I saw people throwing crutches away and being healed. Amen. Amen. You start to do those sorts of things, imagine. Well, obviously, when I was doing this with 10-year-olds, 9-year-olds, 10-year-olds, um, to make the activity last a long time, I used to make them draw a picture. So it's like once you've seen, then we'd get all the art stuff out. You could use whatever you like, draw a picture of what you saw. And this one particular day, we were up to Acts chapter 5, and um, one of the girls in my class, I'm sorry, I don't remember what her name was. It's tragic that I've forgotten who this was. She drew this picture of a derelict building. And I was like, like you know, when you're like, you go, what the heck? <laughs> I, I don't think she got understood the activity. But you, you, you always have to check with kids because kids, you know, think in interesting ways. So I, so I'm, I sort of sidle up to her and I'm saying, so can you tell me why are we, what's the derelict building and how is that connected to the book of Acts? And she said, well, that's the hospital. I said, yes. She says, well, if the book of Acts is true, it says, you know, where it says in here, Acts chapter 5, verse 16. Also, a multitude gathered from the surrounding cities to Jerusalem, bringing sick people and those who were tormented by unclean spirits, and they were all healed. So this kid says to me, if everybody gets healed, you don't need a hospital, and therefore the hospital becomes derelict. Like the logic of a nine-year-old. But how cool is that? And I remembered that. This is like 20-something years ago. This, I can remember this picture of this derelict hospital because I also stuck it on the wall in my, in my classroom and left it there for the rest of the year. And as we get into this book of Acts, it's, it just amazes me what, what is in this, in, this, in this book. It's like 28 little chapters um, spanning a massive history. Um, of the early church um, that, that provide us with so much encouragement. Um, and in thinking about what, what, what can we share about the book of Acts, you know, apart from my you know, nine-year-old's revelation about derelict hospitals, um, and I was asked myself this question. So why these stories? Like, if you can think about it, like, from Jesus at the beginning to... Paul at the end, there was a fair whack of history. A fair whack, I don't know how many years. I should, probably should have looked that up. But there was quite a lot of years covered in there. And quite a lot of stuff happened, I'm sure, in that amount of time. So why these particular stories? What, what prompted you know, the Holy Spirit through Luke to focus on these particular stories? And so it was with that question that I read the whole book of Acts again this week, trying to go, so God, why these stories? And I sort of got a bit excited over the week and rung up, I might have rung up my sister in America in the middle of the day going, what time is it over there? It's only nine o'clock, she'll be fine. That's at night time. And just like raved at her for about half an hour about all these things that God was revealing to me. And she's like, mm, yeah, you might be onto something. 
And uh, so I just got a little something to share with you about why, uh, about how the book of Acts is establishing the pattern of the new covenant. So if the Old Testament was written to establish the pattern of the old covenant, then the New Testament, and particularly here in the book of Acts, as I'm focusing on today, was written to establish the pattern of the new covenant. And we know in Hebrews chapter 8, where it says a little something about this. There it is up there. Who serve and copy and shadow of the heavenly things as Moses was divinely instructed when he was about to make the tabernacle. For he said, see that you make all things according to the pattern shown you in the mountain. God establishes things in patterns. And then in the next verse he says, but now he has obtained a more excellent ministry. That was Jesus. Inasmuch as he is also the mediator of a better covenant, which was established on better promises. And so I started to use that concept. This is a better covenant with better promises. The stories in the book of Acts, the message of the book of Acts, is all there to establish a pattern of how this covenant is the better covenant. And as I looked, I realized that the entire Old Testament is actually in the book of Acts. Like, it's all over the place. Once I started to look for it, I really freaked myself out and got overexcited. If you'd heard me on Wednesday in the car preaching to my sister. Um, and I'll just to show you what I mean by this, um, is that in Acts chapter 9, we have the story um, of the beginning of Paul's ministry. He's still Saul, and as you know, he's been running around um, trying to, you know, imprison uh, the Christian the, the, the the apostles and the Christians, etc. And then in um, Acts chapter 9, verses 6 to 9, it says this. So he, that's Saul, trembling and astonished, said, Lord, what do you want me to do? And the Lord said to him, Arise and go into the city and you will be told what you must do. And the men who journeyed with him stood speechless, hearing a voice but seeing no one. Then Saul arose from the ground and when his eyes were opened, he saw no one. But they led him by the hand and brought him into Damascus. And he was three days without sight and neither ate nor drank. Now hear this point about the three days without sight. Now there's a couple of three days in the Bible. And it struck me that one of the ones in the Old Testament is that Jonah was three days in the belly of a fish. Right? Now, Jonah, if you go to Jonah chapter 1, 15 to 17, Jonah was told, verse 3, verse 12, by God to arise, go into the city, and I'll tell you what to preach. Here in Acts, Paul is told, get up, arise, go into the city, and I'll tell you what to preach. And then he ends up, Three days and three nights blind and I'm able to speak. I don't know about you, but I'm pretty sure that if you are inside the belly of a fish, you're pretty blind and you don't want to eat or drink anything that's floating around about you, right? 
And then just to make it, and then, then I, as you read along in Acts, just to make it just slightly more clear, in um, verse 18 it says, and immediately there fell from his eyes something like scales, fish scales. Just to make sure you get the point about the fish. And he received his sight at once and he arose and was baptised. And then, of course, if you read the rest of the book of Acts, you find out what happens when instead of like Jonah, you get angry at God because he'd sent you to the Gentiles to give you a message. What happens when you are emboldened with passion to preach a message to the Gentiles? You see a better outcome. Jonah ended up, you know, grumpy, sitting under a plant that kept dying on him, hoping for shade. Paul probably had way worse stuff happen to him, but he did so with such passion and enthusiasm. And you see in Acts 21, verses 13 to 14, you know, just that, how, how that, how, you know, he ended up. Then Paul answered, what do you mean by weeping and breaking my heart? For I am ready not only to be bound, but also to die at Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus. So when he would not be persuaded, we ceased saying the will of the Lord be done. You know, there's such a passion throughout the rest of the book of Acts in Paul. Um, and I, I, just, I was just sort of like, oh my goodness, this is, you know, this is, Jonah could have been like this. But we get here in the book of Acts a better promise. And then once I started looking, I found Ruth and I found Ahab and I found Elijah and I found Elisha and I found all these people. But I thought I wouldn't do all of that because that would take way too long and I've only got another seven minutes or maybe 10. So I just thought I would share something, a little something that I got out of the first two chapters. So Acts 1 and 2. Now, that's the beginning of the book of Acts. And this beginning of the book of Acts actually follows the same pattern as the beginning of the Old Testament. So in the Old Testament, it begins um, with a chunk. Um, we often, like I remember way back when I was doing Bible schooly things, they said everything starts in Genesis 1 through to Genesis 11, right? Everything sort of commences in that section. When I was a child, we once went to this thing where they, they taught us the entire history of the whole Old Testament in 40 words. Right? So 40 words, you know, every, the whole Old Testament. I only remember the first four words um, because every time we did it, we repeated those four. And by the time we'd learnt the last ones, we only repeated it a couple of times. So the first four really got stuck in my head. And the rest of it, I don't know what they are. But they were these 40 words. These were the four words for Genesis 1 through to 11. They were creation, fall, flood, Babel. Right, the four big ticket items in the first 11, chap in the first 11 chapters of Genesis. And so as I was looking at Acts 1 and 2, I realised these four things, creation, fall, flood and Babel, or Babel, I don't know, which guy, what do you guys say in Australia? Babel? Okay, Babel, I'll try to remember that, are in here. Let's look at Acts chapter 1, verses 1 to 3, and it says, The former account I made, O Theophilus, of all that Jesus began both to do and teach, until the day in which he was taken up, after he, through the Holy Spirit, had given commandments to the apostles. So Genesis chapter 1, the creation story, starts with God giving commandments to the firmament. 
And Acts starts with Jesus giving commandments to the apostles about the kingdom of God. Because as it goes on, to me has also presented himself um, and speaking of the things pertaining to the kingdom of God at the end of verse 3. And so the book of Acts commences with, with a creative, commanding presence of Jesus. And then, next one, so that's creation, right? Number two, the fall. If you look in Acts chapter 1, verse 18, I noticed it says this. Now this man, that's Judas, purchased a field with the wages of iniquity. And falling headlong, he burst open in the middle and all his entrails gushed out. But he was falling headlong. The fall is in there. Judas falls. There's actually a whole bunch, once I got into it and I studied the whole lot, there's actually a whole bunch of parallels there as well with Cain, Abel and Seth. Because God chooses and sends Seth after Abel had been killed. And the very next thing that happens after this is that by lot... The Spirit leads the disciples to choose Matthias to replace Judas. I started to feel this is getting a little bit freaky. So then I thought, okay, um, I better go and see if the flood's in there, right? Is the flood there? So Acts chapter 1, verse 3, it says, To whom he also presented himself alive after his suffering by many infallible proofs, being seen by them 40 days. I was like, hang on, God send, sent his witness of himself to the world by a flood that went for 40 days, right? And then he promised he'd never flood the earth again, right, to everybody. Interestingly, it then goes on to say that Jesus did not appear to everybody but only to the disciples, God fulfilled his promise. Verse 8 and 9. Of course, if you know what happens after the 40 days, what then happens? Of the 40 days of rain, what happens? Noah and his family are what? Shut up in a boat, right? They get shut away. I've lost the scripture. Oh, here it is. 12. And then when they returned to Jerusalem from the Mount Kedolavet, which is Jerusalem, a Sabbath day's journey. And when they had entered, they went up into the upper room where they were staying. Peter, James, John, Andrew, Philip and Thomas, Bartholomew and Matthew, James the son of Alphaeus, and Simon the Zealot and Judas the son of James. These all continued with one accord in prayer and supplication with the women of Mary, the mother of Jesus, and with his brothers. They went and shut themselves in the upper room, waiting for the Holy Spirit to come. And what was the sign that no one knew that, that the world had been? Yeah, a dove, which is, the, which is also a sign of the Holy Spirit, you know, with the, with the branch of peace. The dove and the peace, that's what comes. And what happens at the end of the Noah, at, at the end of their being shot away in the upper room? The Holy Spirit comes. I'm like, okay, so the flood's there. 
So then I'm like, okay, well, Babel must be in here somewhere too, you reckon? If those are the four things. Before we get to Babel, did you also realise that in Genesis, um, in the middle of the genealogy of Adam, we have the story of Enoch and what happens to Enoch? He walked with God and was no more. He just got taken up, right? And of course, in Acts chapter 1 verse 9, it said, Now when he had spoken these things, while they watched, he was taken up and a cloud received him out of their sight. Even that tiny little verse in there about Enoch has a fulfillment in a better covenant here in this first two books, these first two chapters of Acts. You can imagine, like, you know, all this week I've been sort of slightly blown away by all these thoughts. And then I Googled to try and find out if anybody else had ever written about or talked about this and I couldn't find anything. And then, of course, in Acts chapter 2, verses 4 and 8. 4, 3 to 8. I'm going to read it. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. And there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. And when this sound occurred, the multitude came together and were confused. Because everyone heard them speak in his own language. And then they were all amazed and marveled, saying to, to one another, Look, are not all these who speak Galileans? And how is it that we can hear each in our own language in which we were born? And then there's a lot of words that I won't try to say. We hear them, sp- then down in verse 11, we hear them speaking in our own tongues the wonderful works of God. Now, if you go back to the story in Genesis chapter 11, which is the end of this section, Genesis 1, 3 to 11, and we, we, you have the story of the Tower of Babel. And particularly if you, um, which of course, as you know, is where, I'm going to stick that there so I can go back to two. It's the story where the, the, the people got together and they decided that they would build this massive tower. And God, in verse 6, and the Lord said, indeed, the people are one. And they all have one language and this is what they begin to do. Now, nothing that they propose to do will be withheld from them. Come, let us go down and there confuse their language, they, that, that they may not understand one another's speech. If I go back to Acts chapter 2, and it says, And when this sound occurred, the multitude came together and were confused, because everyone heard them speak in his own language. See, at that moment... The Holy Spirit was bringing them into one language that was heard by many such that they could understand. You see, in the Tower of Babel, mankind had this capacity. God knew that when we got together as one and decided to do something, that nothing could be withheld from us. And so at the Tower of Babel, he broke that by 
taking away our capacity to communicate with each other. But here we have, in the book of Acts, the reversal of that story. What God is doing here, what the Holy Spirit is doing, is he is giving to us one language that we can come back together in one accord because God knows. And we know that it's when we're in that one accord that we have the capacity to do whatever is before us. Nothing can be withheld against us. You see, God broke our capacity to come together and then he has repaired. He has the breach, whatever, you know, what's that thing? What's that phrase? It's gone completely out of my head. Restored the breach with the Holy Spirit. That he gives us a language that we can come in one accord. And in fact, that phrase, there are three things that God fulfills his plan for man. He fulfills our capacity to come together in one accord. That nothing, as it says in Genesis chapter 11, verse 6 or 7. I shouldn't have shut that one, should I? Now nothing that they propose to do will be withheld from them. That's actually what God was doing on the day of Pentecost. That nothing that we propose to do can be withheld from us. Because he has brought us back into that place where we can communicate with each other and with him in power. I don't know about you, but I was sort of... God, you're amazing. So amazing. And in the book of Acts, I think there are probably, just as I come to close, three things that I noticed um, in terms of the, um, what, what God called us to do. Number one was this, this phrase, one accord. It was like when the people came at Tower of Babel, as one. And here is God saying, when the... As one accord. That's how they came together in the upper room. In one accord. And then that gets repeated right through to about Acts chapter 18. You know, constantly, consistently. You know, every time about how, what happens when we come together in one accord. I think that's such a powerful thing. We know we are better together. That's been our mantra here, our motto here for such a long time. But it's true. It is when we come in one accord. It is when we come into that one language and we're in the spirit together. That's where the power resides. Second thing I noticed in Acts chapter 2, verse 42, 43, um, when it then talks about what happened, what was the consequence, the end of chapter 2. It says, and they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship in the breaking of bread and in prayers. Then fear came upon every soul and many wonders and signs were done through the apostle. You see, the one accord brings the power and in that I think there are three things. Number one is testimony. Number two is action. And from there, that's where the power resides. That is where the power is. I once had a friend tell me that faith is believing that God heals when your best friend dies of cancer. I had recently had a friend die of cancer. But this week I found out that that's not really true. Faith is not believing when your best friend dies of cancer. 
Faith is taking action when your best friend's diagnosed with cancer. Faith is not something that happens after the fact. Faith is something that stands in the gap. Faith is something that says this far and no further. Faith comes from action. And you know what? The, 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 the book of Acts, if you read it, really it's very simple. It's this. Number one, get together with fellow believers. Number two, pray. Number three, praise. Number four, fast. It's like how hard can that be? Get together, prayer, pray, praise, fast. It's not hard. That's all, that's all it is. That's the action. And then finally... The other thing I noticed when I was reading through the book of Acts is how weird they all were. It reminded me. It reminded me. When I was a child, my mother used to play this album for me and in the middle of that album they had this song. I don't know if you know this song. We can sing it if you like, Richard. And it was called I'm Peculiar. (laughs) You remember that one? It went like this. I'm Peculiar. And getting more peculiar. Walking around talking prosperity. Living in health with my spirit free. I'm peculiar. And getting more peculiar. And then there's the last line. And if society doesn't agree, that's a good indication to me. You see, I was brought up to believe that my job was to be slightly weird. And if you read the book, and anybody agree that I am slightly weird, right? Yeah, you all agree. If you read the book of Acts, that's what they were. They were slightly peculiar. They got reactions out of people, but in the end, every so often it said, and they all highly esteemed them because there was great respect because out of that peculiarity, that was where, and they were all healed, came from. It's not our job to look like a normal person. It's our job to bring the book of Acts into the situations and the circumstances of the people who are in our sphere of influence. That's our job. That is our job. Our job is to take that promise of healing and wholeness and bring that down into the situations and circumstances that we find ourselves in and our friends and our workmates and anybody else around us. God has established a pattern. He established a pattern in Genesis chapter 1 through to 11 at the beginning. And at the end of those 11 chapters, we are introduced to Abram. At the end of the first two chapters of Acts, we're introduced to the vitality of the early church. And it is God's intention that we, as the descendants of that church, continue to live out that inheritance in Jesus' name. Amen.